This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen. I want to welcome you to the Warning Radio program. Today you're going to hear one of my colleagues that's been with me since 1998, Dr. E.J. Buckhart. He's speaking at my staff service. I was actually out of town. And the topic of his message was deception. This was recorded November 2020. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Today's title is Deception. And deception leads to disobedience. And we are living in a society right now of total deception. And the Lord even said, as the times get the end, the deception will be so great that even if it were possible, the elect could be deceived. My wife and I, basically every day, there may be a few days you don't, where we pray for discernment to see through the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. Because if you don't, you're not going to see it. Many... Back in 2013, I received, well, I talked to a man by the name of Don Stevens, and he was writing a book called Deception in Modern Christianity. And the other day, my daughter, we went into her room, and we found this book in there that she was reading, and I have never read it. And he sent this to me back in 2013. I've been trying to get a hold of Don, but I have not yet. But it is one tremendous book. It's not written by a theologian. It's not written by a pastor. It's written by a man who actually grew up on a farm. He became a fireman for the city of Dallas, Texas, and became the deputy chief of the fire department in Dallas. And he was there for 23 years, and then he moved to Lubbock, Texas, where I met him. And there he was a chief of the fire department. But he also does prison ministry. And uh, anyway, the book, I think, is... Because I've been looking at this idea of deception for a long time. But to try to put some of this stuff into words, sometimes you need to look to other people to help you put it into words. And he has done such a fabulous job. And the goal of the book, when he wrote it, was... Uh, to identify deception in modern Christianity. And if you go on Amazon and the book, it sells for, uh, the book sells for $7.95. And it, it, it states this right on Amazon, which I think is kind of interesting. He says, uh, 
compare what he's doing is compare modern teachings and the truth of God's word, show the differences and publish the truth. Perilous times are coming. Now, once again, this is written in 2013. Perilous times are coming. Morality and godliness are declining in Christian nations. Corruption, violence, and greed are increasing. Opportunity to provide for basic needs of families are declining. We need to have two people working in a family now, sometimes three, just to provide housing and food. Citizens are serving government more than governments serving the citizens. Sound familiar? Threats of war are increasing. Efforts to fix these problems without obedience to God are failing. What can we do? God has given us the instructions. We must seek his truth in his word, the Bible. Then we must repent of our pride and disobedience and obey his instructions. We've been hearing this message for a long time in this ministry. And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now I have added this. In order to keep his commandments, we must love him. And if we truly love him, then we can keep his commandments. Deception. The words deceptions, I looked up in concordance, and the word that either be deceit or deceitfulness, deceive, or being deceived in others, in the Old Testament is 30 times the phrase or the knowledge or the idea of deception appears 30 times. In the New Testament, it appears 36 times. So there's got to be something important when it's that found that many times in Scripture. To help us understand the need, we need to see through the lies and deceptions of Satan in our modern Christianity and also in our church because I think many in the church are totally deceived and they don't even know it. Satan is a very, very clever liar and we'll get into that. And I'm going to go through just a few of these of the book and uh, with scripture reference. Jesus taught his disciples what he wanted them to know. He actually taught them the Old Testament. Jesus did not have the New Testament. He had the Old Testament. And he taught them from the Old Testament what he wanted them to know. Many people that the disciples taught became one church through many congregations. A lot of them home churches and some not home churches. One church. One church. Jesus did not tell the disciples to teach things of the Pharisees the Sadducees, the rabbis, and the great, what the great religious leaders taught. Jesus knew that some of those would be taught was not from God. Remember, from Malachi to the New Testament, there's 400 years. If that was the last book that we know of in the Old Testament, is Malachi. Because there's 400 years there. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll never see anything about a Pharisee, a scribe, or a rabbi. So it's during those 400 years this thing developed. And Jesus' teachings through the disciples 
who taught others to go and make disciples and spread the gospel of nations, brought hope, salvation, meaning of life, and a purpose. But since that time, various doctrines and teachings have appeared within the church and has infiltrated the body of Christ, splitting it into thousands of denominations. Now, the last I heard, I can't prove this, was 4,004 denominations. Christ taught one church with many congregations. Now, there is an interesting thing in Bellingham. Uh, Bellingham is not one of the Christian cities. But anyway, there is a movement in there in which a group of pastors have come together and pray 24 hours a day. And this is through the fusion group that we're working with here in Stanwood. But they pray 24 hours a day. Now, the churches are not coming together in a church. Each church is separate, so to speak. But they have come together in unity to pray. And there are some things happening in Bellingham, which is one of the, what do they call these cities? Uh, yeah, but also uh, sanctuary. sanctuary cities. So things are happening. Steve knows a little bit about that town. He's been up there. He knows what it's like. What's the, what's the, what's the word you call for Bellingham? Bellingrad. 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 <laughs> okay. So what has happened? Why is this taking place? People began to add and to subtract from God's word. And it says, for the time will come, in 2 Timothy 4.3, the time will come when we will not endure sound doctrine, having itching ears, and they shall heap upon themselves teachers in accordance to their own lust. For I testify in Revelations, it says 22, Revelations 22, 18 and 19, for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. How do people add and subtract from Scripture? They added to God's word and added their various thoughts and opinions to their teaching. They took away from God's word, explaining away and ignoring parts of God's word. The inspired men who wrote God's word were inspired of God. Since then, people have written many versions of the Bible. Now, some of these are a good thing as translations into native language and different people groups. English is one of those. But with these newer translations, could our enemy Satan, the great deceiver, have a motive in trying to influence some of these changes? He says, I believe so. One of the ones I look at in one scripture that, that really applies on me is Romans 13.1. It says, we shall be all subject to the higher power, period. Most translations say we shall be, we need to obey the powers of government. That the enemy has used to get churches to say whatever the government says, you must obey. They are the higher power. No, there's a higher power than government. And we need to obey the higher power. And we're being put into a situation in America right now 
where this has to take place. Because if you don't allow Jesus and God to be in control of your life, you are going to suffer some of the plagues and penalties. God says it. It's, it's, it's all in his word. It hasn't changed. A deception in a doctrine or teaching can be found by comparing what it says to God's word actually says and does not say. We must seek the truth by studying God's word than blindly following people who have blindly followed others who have been deceived by false teachings. I went through a Luther Theological Seminary and I was trained in the doctrines of the Lutheran Church. I was not trained in the doctrines of the Bible, necessarily, but it was their teachings. And at the examination day, I had to write an article, or essay, in which I'd be examined. And my particular essay was, Who Killed Jesus? Was it the government, or was it the church? That was the essay. I, I, I was a Greek scholar at that time, and so that's what I wrote on Anyway, so they examined me. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, unfortunately, how I want to look at it, I was already determined I was going to become a pilot. And I graduated from seminary. I had my pilot's license. I was a flight instructor and trying to go in to become a pilot missionary for the Lutheran Church. And that did not happen. I ended up flying with the airlines for 32 years, as most of you know. And so all the questions happened to come from my three ex professors that examined me. One I played handball with, and he liked me because I could beat him in handball, and he was good. I wasn't that good. He was good. But I beat him. The other one was a gentleman who became the president of the seminary. And he asked me, he says, EJ, I'm one of the hardest professors of this seminary. You aced my course. I won't tell you the grades I got in other ones. They... The history teacher, the one I played, played uh, handball with, gave me a D because he didn't want to fail me. But this one said, EJ, before I die, I want you to explain to me why you passed my grades. And I was one of the hardest professors and you didn't, and you flunked the other ones that got bad grades. Unfortunately, he was over in Africa. I think it was Africa. He contacted a very serious disease. And before he was able to be treated, he died. So I was never able to answer that question. But I was taught and trained the doctrines of the church. Anyone nowadays, I'll tell you, that goes to a seminary is going to be trained in the doctrines of the church. Whether the doctrine, I mean, some of these doctrines are good, okay? Some of them come right out of the Bible, but there's others that they kind of play with a little bit. That's why we have so many denominations and so many different seminaries. I want to put in a plug a little bit for our Bible school here, CLST, that we're associated with. All of the teachers, they're not professors, they're all teachers. All these teachers have a special interest in a special part of the gospel. And that's what they teach on. They're not teaching in denominationalism, they're teaching something they feel on their heart that they've learned from the Bible. And so I enjoyed it. I enjoyed those courses very much. So we did have one course in there, which was basically once saved, always saved. 
Now, he'll come against that one in here, but there was a doctor, once saved, always saved. And it was a very good course, because you got to see why do people believe in that doctrine, teaching. Okay? But eventually, we were, like Dr. Hansen said, we, we probably would have never taken the course, but the fact we took the course was interesting, because we got to see the other side. But we, we made a complaint to the school. We weren't the only ones. They had many complaints, and the course has been removed. And so I, I speak highly of that school because if there's something in there that people are saying, hey, this doesn't follow scripture, we don't want it being taught. We must seek the truth by studying God's word rather than blindly following people who blindly followed others who have been deceived. Now, just because we're blinded is because we're deceived. And we've got to be able to see through that. That's why I say we need to pray for dis the, the discernment, to see through the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. Within the church nowadays, some of many of the denominations, matter of fact, I had a contact with the seminary, with one of the people that were out looking for money, you know, to help support seminary. And I had to tell him, I said, I cannot support this seminary anymore because you're, you're ordaining homosexual pastors. I cannot. That's unbiblical. It's unchristian. She said, would you like us to remove your name? I said, yes. And that was the end of the conversation. But that person I talked with has no authority to argue with me in behalf of the seminary. But, but, uh, so, I mean, here's what we see the, the, the doctrines that are coming into the church. And these are, this is blasphemy. This is blasphemy. He says in here, the intent of this book is to help us learn to recognize and to avoid the dangerous deceptions and to follow God's word. Why do we pray? As David Wilkinson said, we need to be in the word of God. And Steve made a comment at our Thanksgiving dinner, uh, which we're in here. He says, if you read an author today of a book, he leads you through the book the way he wants or something like this. But if you go to the Bible, these things were written thousands of years ago. We cannot go into the Bible with our modern day thinking. We have to understand it in the terms of the, of the time it was written. Otherwise, we will be totally led astray. And we can see this over and over again. And he could give you some real excellent examinations, but I'm speaking, he's not, so we won't talk about that. Right, Steve? But there's one that I will mention about, and I think it's coming up in my message. You shall be set free. No, you shall be made free. Okay? If you're a made free, you are a new creature. Totally different. So you don't have to go into your old past or do the old things that you used to do before you became a new creature. If you are set free, you have the ability to go back and do the things you used to do. If you're set free from prison and you go back out and do the same things, even though you've been set free from prison, you can go back. But if you've been a made a new person, as John said, you should not be able, you should be able to overcome all sin. Because you are a new person. You're made, you're not set free, you're made free. And he, Steve pointed this out to me many years ago and I, it's, 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 it's really struck, uh, stuck in my heart. He says, when he was involved in prison ministry and reflecting on early years of his life, it became clear to me, living by our feelings 
instead of God's commandments, is very destructive. Not that feelings are wrong. We have love feelings for our spouses and our friends. But feelings can lead you astray. And Satan is very skillful in working through our feelings to get us to get us out of the obedience to God and into destructive choices. When a person focuses on his or her feelings, will find it very difficult to keep God's commandments. A focus on trust in obedience to our God and the truth of his word will serve us much better. We are at war. <laughs> Have you heard anybody say that one around here? Well. We are at war. Satan's greatest weapon is deception. He has been successful in using this weapons for thousands of years. He's not new at it. He's very skilled at it, and we got to understand that. And that's what he used against even Adam in the garden, which caused them to sin and to come upon mankind. This is why I say we need to pray for discernment to see through the lies and deceptions of the enemy. Satan still is successfully using deception today against millions of people who are not paying attention to God's word. There are, I look at some churches, and when you come to churches, they got Bibles. Now they have, what do you call, I don't know what you call the Bibles and those things, but, but at least they have the Bible in front of them. But they, and they carry with the Bible. And the pastor leads them, look up this passage, look this up, open up your Bible. And what's the name of the pastor down in California? John McCarthy. He's the one that's really standing up strong and holding worship against the governor's deal. But he always says, now people open it, you that have Bibles, open your Bibles up. But you go to many churches and you won't see anybody carrying a Bible into that church. Now I have to be very careful because some people can come and put that Bible in that little phone, which I don't see. Because, you know, this thing is a little bit heavy. And to carry it around all the time, it's, you know, if you can carry it around with something like that, it's kind of nice, okay? Don't get me wrong on that. I mean, it's a great feature, but still, they just listen to what the pastor says, take his word for it, and they walk out the door. And that's not what the Bible says. You're even supposed to, add, you know, test the pastor, what he's saying. Does it line up with the Bible? And that's why I say we've been blessed in this congregation. Because we can take what Dr. Hansen says, and we can take it the Bible, and we can find it there. First, we can learn to examine what we see and what we hear in order to understand what it, it appeals to us. If it appeals to our flesh, our selfish flesh, then more to desire to fulfill God's plan for us, the enemy is out there trying to deceive us. The motive of most Satan's tragedies of deception is to get people to disobey God. So that their disobedience or their sin will separate them from God and make them servants of Satan. What are some of the strategies? Now those who are taking notes, you can write these strategies down. Let's take a look at some of the strategies that Satan uses to deceive people. Number one. Satan questions God's word. 
Satan questions God's word. Now, the first four that I give you all come out of Genesis with Adam and Eve. Two, Satan lies. What do you do when your children lie to you? Do we slap or spank them? Should we spank Satan? Caitlin, my granddaughter, wonderful Lord, wonderful girl of the Lord right now. Pray that she stays that way. But I remember one day I told, I said, Caitlin, she's probably only like three years old. I don't know, three or four. Says, Caitlin, and she remembers this. I says, Caitlin, whatever you do, don't lie to grandpa. I can put up with a lot of things. You can break my, some of my toys or whatever the case may be, but don't lie to grandpa. Well, guess what? She's a little girl. She's a little child. She lied to grandpa. Grandpa caught her. And I spanked her on the bottom. Sorry for those people who don't believe in spanking children, but I spanked her on the bottom pretty hard. <laughs> Only once. It wasn't two swaps. It was one big hard swap. <laughs> she goes home to her dad. She says, don't lie to grandpa. He spanks real hard. But you know, I think it worked. <laughs> Especially when she told her dad, don't lie to grandpa, he spanks. Now, hope. Okay, number three. Satan often mixes his lies with some truth to make them more deceptive. Satan mixes his lies with some truth to make them more deceptive. And four. Satan appeals to the selfish desires in people to make sin attractive. That beautiful apple, if it was an apple, a beautiful fruit, a beautiful fruit. Oh, that looks so good. Lust of the flesh, you know, oh, I won't go that way. Anyway, we don't need to go that way. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Yes, number four. Satan appeals to the selfish desires to make sin attractive. First John 2.16 reads, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's 1 John 2.16. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but in thereof are the ways of death. Okay, strategy number five. Now we'll get out of Genesis. Strategy number five. Satan gains success in getting people to disobey God. So anytime we disobey God, we're giving Satan's power. He is no rush. He works through time to cause sin to seem normal to people. In other words, he takes his time to make the sin that we're doing look normal. A good example of that is homosexuality. Now it becomes normal 
So even within the church, homosexuality is now normal. Because this is the lie of Satan. If you keep, keep it, it becomes normal. Sin becomes normal. And then you accept it as that. Same-sex marriage, abortion, all of this. It didn't happen overnight that this became sin within church, but the church has adopted this. This is the seriousness that we're suffering in America, because if there's not repentance by the church, as Pastor said, always talking to me, he says, we're not going to get the world to repent. But the Bible says, if my people repent, if the church repents, and it holds true in this election right now, if the church repents, we can change this whole election procedure. If the church repent, because what happens when the church repent? God steps in. And when God steps in, what did we hear in the, in the songs that we sang? If you could, you can make a sermon in every one of those songs. If you listen to the words, and we sing those words over and over, but do we really take them to heart and live those words? These songwriters, as they're writing these songs, know the gospel, the truth. And number six. Oh, wait. Okay, here, let me go through some of these. Some of the things over the past 50 years in the USA. Now, this is written in 2013. But here are some of the things over the past two years in the USA that the Satan has used with great success. Bible, prayer, Ten Commandments taken out of the school. Abortion. Huge increase in immorality and pregnancies out of wedlock. Huge increase in the number of children growing up without the presence of their fathers. Huge increase in crime and members of people in prisons. Laws passed to normalize, normalize homosexuality. Increase in laws and social pressure to restrict the public influence of God's word. Huge increase in the numbers of lives and families destroyed by the drug, drug culture. Not only the drug culture, but even the pharmaceutical culture. I added that. That was not his words. And the list goes on. Strategy number six. Satan looks for ways to spread deception through people. Satan's not talking to you personally. He's using most of the time through other people who you may have respect for or whatever the case may be. Satan will use and spread his deception, deception through people. Five is Satan gains success in getting people to disobey God. Now, there are doctrines. And he talks in the book about three doctrines. The doctrines of Christ. That's God will bless those who obey the doctrines of Christ. Then we have the doctrines of men. The Pharisees and the scribes. And what they did during their period of time. Then... That's the religious ones. We got Christ, then we got the religious people. Then we get into the doctrines of devils. So there's three sets of doctrines that we look at. The doctrines of Christ, 
the doctrines of men and the doctrines of devils. We, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. But we also rest, wrestle through men and women who are under the influence of the powers and principalities. And he lifts a whole bunch of scripture references to all these. Now this one here is God created my family and me for his pleasure. Do you realize God created you for his pleasure? God created us for his pleasure. And when we honor that, if we seek the kingdom of God first and righteousness, then all these things shall be added to you. If my family and I want God first, then God will surely supply all of our needs. In Luke 14, 26, this scripture has always bothered me a little bit. And that's when it says, you must hate father and mother, wife. You know the verse? You know the scripture? And I say, wait a second. God created family for love. Why would he tell us we got to hate our family? Doesn't make sense. But so I decided to look up the word hate used in this particular reference. It means to love less. You still love your family. You love your wife. You love your children. You love your friends. You love your enemies. But you love them less than you do the love of the Father. Now it makes a whole bunch more sense. God is first in your life. I'm trying to remember when I made a message in South Korea on faith, trust, and hope. And I was referring to, oh, I know it is, is Ash, uh, Trader Asher, Asher Trader, Asher and Trader from Israel. He's a Messianic believer. And he made a comment at one time. He says, the first, peer, the first ones that you love is your family. Well, he may, at first, you know, that kind of goes against what scripture says. But if you stop to think about it, once you're born again and become part of the kingdom of God and you are made a new creature, God is first in your life. Therefore, your family becomes first. Because you already made God the ruler of your family. And so your family becomes first. And then he goes on to, you know, the different ones. But it kind of explains that. To me, it meant something. Because when you, not to the world out there, you, would be different. But once you become part of the kingdom of God, God becomes the overseer of your whole life. Then you love your family. God created family. He didn't create your family not to love them. He created them for you to love them. And so sometimes we get things out of order. So I'm not coming against those people that preach first you got to love God, then you got to love your family. But it kind of says family's second. No, 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 no. When you love God, your family becomes first. <laughs> because you already love God. Now, maybe it makes sense to you, maybe it don't. But anyway. <clears throat> See, I have a choice. I've got the, I've got the podium, right? 
Okay. And I got to skip over here quite a bit. Okay. We have seen from scriptures, now he's talking about, if you read this, all the different, I mean, this thing is full of Bible passages. If you have seen from scripture, the previous chapter, that Satan's motive for deceiving people is usually to get them to disobey so that their sin of disobedience will separate them from God and allow Satan to make him his servants. That is the goal of Satan, to get you to disobey God so that you can become under his control. So if you're disobeying God, you are under the control of Satan, whether you like it or not. And if you want verses reference on that, you've got Isaiah 59.2 and Romans 6, 15-16. Obedience chapter. Deception is what we talked about early. Leads to disobedience. Second Timothy 3.13 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now there's, that's an interesting comment. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. Deceiving. In other words, they're going to be deceiving us. Okay? And being deceived themselves. That's why they can deceive us, is because they've been deceived. So as we look at our election, all these people out here that are being deceived, then they try to deceive us. Because they're deceived and they do not know it. That is kind of a frightening thing to think that we could be deceived and not know it and we could be deceiving others because we don't know that we're deceived that's why I gotta pray Lord give us a discernment to see through the lies and deceptions of the enemy because we may be deceived and I'm sure in my life I've been deceived quite a few times and I'm sure we all have but as the word finally opens up her eyes, one nice thing we have, we can go to the Lord and say, forgive me, Lord. I repent. And God is so merciful and faithful that he will honor that. Why does he honor that? He has to. That's his word. If you repent, I will honor you. He says in Second Chronicles 17, if my people call by my name, We'll pray and repent. I will save the nation. God can save this nation. God can change this nation. But we've got a whole lot of repentance to do. But it's not hopeless. God is the God of his word. And I remember in Jeremiah, I finally come up with Jeremiah, my own definition. Don't mess with God. Jeremiah, don't mess with God because he destroys nations and he restores nations. But don't mess with them. Don't try to play the bad guy. 
because then he'll destroy you. But if you play the good guy, he'll restore you. So don't mess with God. That's that's the comment I got out of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, if you read that long enough, you say, whoa, you know, it blesses, then he curses, then he blesses, then he curses. And that's why I came up with this idea, don't mess with God. If you've been messing with God, stop it. Say, God, I don't want to mess with you anymore because I don't like the penalty that goes with it. Matthew 22, 22, 37 through 38 tells us that the greatest commandment in God's word is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind. Therefore, according to scriptures above, if we obey God, then we love him. If we love him, if we say we love him, don't obey God, we do not love him. If you love God, you can, you will obey God. If God has made you a new creature in Him, you don't need to sin. You're a new creature. Hey, I'm almost done. Now, if you want these verses of scripture, a whole bunch of scriptures, but I, I won't, if you want it, I'll leave the book open. But scriptures will show the importance of obedience to God's instructions. And if you start to look at all the scriptures, it says, be obedient to God. Maybe that should tell us something. You know, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and that's just a few of them. <laughs> Starts out in Jeremiah and goes through 1 John. So it's Old Testament, New Testament. Same book, the Bible. There is no Old Testament, there is no New Testament. It's one book. And most people don't realize that when Jesus and Paul and the disciples spoke and they talked about scriptures, there was only one scripture. It was what we call the Old Testament. And I don't know if when I was reading David, David Wilkerson's book this morning, some of that, he was talking about David, and Jesus was saying this, David, Jesus was saying this, Jesus was saying that. In other words, David Wilkerson says, hey, Jesus is in the Old Testament. He's all through it. All through it. From Genesis 1. I remember my son made a comment to me. He said, Jesus is in Genesis 1. The God is plural. And I must say, I've learned quite a few things from Steve. And I'm a graduate of a theological seminary. But he's a graduate. He's a graduate. He's a graduate of the Bible. And big difference. Big difference. So I have a lot to owe to my son. Deception. Deception. Think about that quite a bit. Are you being deceived? Am I being deceived? Is our government being deceived? Is our church being deceived? Not in all ways. But is our church being effective as it should be? Are we seeing healings in the church 
the Bible says to go preach the gospel, lay hands on the sick, and cast out demons. Do we see this in the church? God, this is what Jesus said to do. Is our church doing that? They're preaching the gospel. Don't make me wrong. The church preaches the gospel. But what are they adding to it or subtracting to it? And I'm going to say something to you folks because you know who we are because I'm talking about this holiday that's coming up. One of these radio stations started playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving. And then they play Christmas music. But what about some of the music? It's not all about Jesus. Is Christmas supposed to be all about Jesus? And if Christmas is supposed to be all about Jesus, how come the world out there is celebrating this holiday for a week or a month or two, a month in advance? Jingle bells. Mm-hmm. Jingle bells. In other words, we've added or subtracted to the birth of Jesus. Now, Jesus was born. There's no doubt about that, you know. And most pastors I know will admit that he wasn't born on Christmas Day. But yet, are, is this why the church isn't so effective? Because we have added or subtracted to certain things? Now, if you celebrate a birthday, how many days do you celebrate that birthday in advance? How many, who gets the presents on Christmas Day or on birthdays? Who gets the present? We do. Who do we give the presents to on, on Christmas? We do. No. We do. We're not giving the presents to Jesus. We're giving it to our family members or friends or whatever the case. Then what about all the Christmas parties? We won't go into that. But I just, I just wanted, you know, Pastor in his book, the Roots, what's it called? Uh, Christianity really gets into and does extremely good well telling about it. But I think it's time, if the church wants to be effective, why are we closing down the churches when God says, let the sick come in and be healed? Do we not believe that God will protect the people that come to church and worship without getting the pestilence? Psalms 91. Where is our faith, folks? Where is our faith? We need a tremendous repentance. First, ourselves, then the church, then our government. And we can see God says, ha ha, now I got you where I want, I will bless you. How many times did he do this to Israel? Over and over and over again. And we're not even any better than the, the children of Israel. We have to learn the hard way. And when things are going well, who needs God? When you have all the money in the world to buy and what you want, why do you need God to provide for your needs? But you know, it's interesting. Those that have all the money, they want more. They want more. They're not happy. They want more. There's a few men out there who want to be the first trillionaires in the United States or in the world. They want to be the first trillionaires. And if you want to look at the vaccine, can make a couple individuals trillionaires. Power. Are we supposed to have power in and of ourselves? 
we have the power through Jesus to lay hands on the sick, to pray. And we've seen that in this ministry. We need to begin, get back to what the church should be. Is it possible? Is it possible to get back to one church, one denomination? No, is the answer to that one. The answer is no. Because God says, will I find faith when I return? Deception will be some great, even the elect, if it were possible to be deceived. Things are not getting better. Things are not getting better. But does that mean we don't, we give up and we're fearful? No, fret not. Fear not. God is with us. I've had people that call up, said, about the mark of the beast. And they have to take medicine to keep their brains from going nuts. What am I going to do if I can't get my medicine? I says, first of all, what does God say? You don't take the mark of the beast and I will be with you. I will see you through it. If you take the mark of the beast, sayonara. We've got to learn to trust in the Lord. The reason I didn't go and have my heart surgery, I said, you know what? I've got a couple other things I really need God's promises, the standing on his promises. Oh, so I'm starting standing on the promises. I said, I'm going to stand to God. God's going to heal it. Uh, he's God's going to heal it. We've got to make a stand on God's promises. We've got to make a stand. And we got to do it now. But I can also assure you that if you don't take the mark of the beast, God will see you through it. You may have your head cut off, but you're going to be in heaven, so what's the big deal? But he will see you through it. The point of this is, and I want to bring this up, is because we are seeing things right now, it's so easy. You go to the grocery store, Instead of using cash or check, you stick the card in. Ah, that is so nice. You know, boom, 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 boom. It's easy. It's getting to be so much now that when the time comes, when the actual mark of the beast comes, we have been so lied to by the deceptions of the devil, it's going to be so easy to take it. Because if you don't, you're facing a major catastrophe. And your body's going to say, oh, well, you know, let me just do it. It's going to be simple, you know. It's so easy because I don't want to give up all this stuff in my life. I want to be able to go down to the grocery store and buy food. I want to be able to go to the doctor and get medicine. Boy, that's going to be a challenge. I mean, we can be brave and strong right now and say, hey, no way in the world am I going to do that. But we better start now trusting God. And we're seeing some wonderful things taking place. April's got a testimony from when we prayed for her, and she'll give that to you here in just a bit. 
But see, we can trust in the Lord. We can trust in the Lord for our family salvation. It's full of scripture. My wife can repeat the scriptures that your children can be saved. We need to trust in the Lord and his promises. The Lord says he's going to do it. He has to do it. That's if we have the faith to believe in the Lord. We have to have faith. We have to have trust. We have to have confidence. I like that new word, confidence. Faith, trust, confidence, and the big next word is hope. Without hope, we will have a hard time getting through the future. And then in Revelations, in the Gospels, it talks about uh, God called us, he chose us. In Revelation, he adds another word, the faith. Those who are called, those who are chosen, and those who are faithful. Just because God calls you and chosen you, you still have choice to turn him down. And the Satan, for those that God's called, Satan is going to work in your life like you have never believed. He is going to try to destroy that as fast as he can. But the revelation says those that are called and chosen and faithful are the ones that rule and reign. So my prayer is that we will all remain faithful We will stand on God's word. We will not be deceived. And we'll stand strong. Amen. 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 Reverend Dr. Jonathan Hanson has written a book titled The Science of Judgment. God is predictable. There is a scientific pattern for the rise and fall of nations throughout history. We need to understand the laws or the rules of design regarding prophecy and judgment. When it comes to the laws of judgment and prophecy, denominational or personal belief systems have nothing to do with the reality or the certainty of the rule of judgment. Dr. Hansen's objective is to warn leaders of nations of the second coming of Jesus Christ and the plagues or judgments that are coming upon these peoples and nations that reject Jesus Christ as Savior according to the scriptures. Dr. Ronald E. Cottle, founder and president of Christian Life School of Theology, states that this book is a must-read for Christians and other leaders in the United States and in other nations. It is clear, powerful, and well-reasoned. We all owe a debt of gratitude to Dr. Jonathan Hansen for the years that have gone into the research and writing of the science of judgment. This book has more than 300 pages, divided up in five sections. Part 1, The Science of Judgment, has chapters titled such as The Laws Regarding Prophecy and Judgment, Patterns of Apostasy, Purpose of Chastisement, Standards for Justice and Mercy. God forgives when people repent. God holds nations responsible for what leaders do. Parental Responsibility. The Feasts of the Lord. Solomon's Transgressions and Their Consequences. Righteous Kings versus Evil Kings. Example of King Jehoshaphat. Ungodly Alliances. God is predictable. God holds people accountable. Man can turn into an intelligent beast to do evil. Section 2. The Deception of the Theory of Evolution has chapters titled as Problems with the Theory of Evolution Evolution and Racism Darwin's Hatred of Christianity and its Fruit Section 3, Why Must There Be Judgment has titles such as 
The Fall of America and Her Destruction, Cult Christianity, Radical Liberal Politics, Section 4, Kings, Dictators, and Presidents, with the following chapters listed as People Choose Their Nation's Leaders, Qualifications for Godly Leadership, Romans 13, Delegated Authority, Satan is in charge of this world, not Jesus. If laws violate conscience, we must disobey. Finally, part five, so what must we do? These chapters are listed as, we are in a cultural war, our responsibility to a hostile government, the Christian's science of judgment. With turmoil ever increasing throughout the nations as Bible prophecy is coming to life right before our very eyes, one must read the science of judgment to have a clear understanding of these events and the reasons why. Call 360-629-5248, 360-629-5248, that is 360-629-5248, and request your copy of The Science of Judgment for a donation of $35 or more, plus shipping and handling. Thank you, and shalom. Visit www.worldministries.org. That is www.worldministries.org. Click in the top right-hand corner the button labeled Eagle Saving Nations. Subscribe today. Help Dr. Hansen bring another great awakening to America focused on the Holy Spirit. Thank you and shalom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.